0: Welcome to Threshold Stories, crossing thresholds one story at a time. I'm your host, Jeff Gora. Sometimes when catastrophic events occur, we become bitter, resentful, or even angry. Trini Willerton is one of the people who had one of those catastrophic events occur who chose a different path. She's the founder of ItCouldBeMe.org, a nonprofit dedicated to raising awareness for everyone's safety on the roads and streets across the globe. She sells some products, but more importantly, she has a story to tell about what happened to her, and what her response was. She's made a difference in many people's lives, and she's taking people into her program to become ambassadors, helping to bridge the gap between cyclists and drivers around the globe. Trini Willerton, welcome to Threshold Stories.
1: Oh, hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It is um, an odd circumstance in how you ended up on this show, and I feel like I want to tell the viewership um, how that happened because it's so unique. So you and I were at a conference together in, the, in your time zone, in the Mountain Time Zone, down in um, Arizona, plus or minus um, January of 2020. And you and I are both waiting to um, talk with somebody. Do you remember this? Yeah. Was, we just had a presenter, and um, he was talking about uh, some marketing specifics, go-to-market strategy specifics associated with the football team, the professional football team's brand. And, um, you had a question or two and I had a question or two and you stayed after I was done after, um, you had finished and, and paused and, and, and listened to me for a second. And during that process, I told the guy that I'm a podcaster and, um, I had already recruited some of the people whom we'd met at the event to, um, come on the show. And, um, some of them are already going to been released by the time this is released and some others that haven't been released. And um you were pretty bold in that moment. You um do you remember this? You handed me your card yeah. and you and you remember what you said? You said, mm. I need to be on your show. Yeah. And I'm like, that is so cool that she doesn't even know my name and she's already and I'm like, <laughs> there's something to this. And I gave you I don't know what I give you, thirty seconds, sixty seconds to sell yourself or talk through what your story was. And I pocketed yeah. your card. I don't know if you remember this, but I got back to you the same day. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, So I went home. Um, actually, that's not true. I went to my um, uh, the house I was staying at. It wasn't my house because I live in the East Coast. I don't live in Tempe, Arizona. And I clicked on um, your website. It could be me. And I watched your story. And I said, that woman is right. <laughs> she does need to come <laughs> on the show. This is a story <laughs> that needs to be told. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I'm looking at all the effort that you've put into making this thing come to reality. So I want to take a chance to um, give you a chance to tell your story kind of in a down-to-earth way. So let's talk about the normal average uh, girl named Trini who happened to be a triathlete. Talk about your life before the event. I'm going to call it the event right now because I don't want to steal the okay. therapy. Before your event occurred, who were you, right?
1: Well, I, you know, I was never an athlete growing up. However I've heard that
0: lie before
1: (laughs) No 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 Absolutely true 100% I was a musician So if I was up At 4 o'clock in the morning It was because I was coming home From playing somewhere Or It was never Because I was about To get ready to. So what
0: kind of music Did you play
1: Um, Rock pop I was in an all music An an all girl band
0: No kidding What was your instrument
1: The bass And the piano
0: Holy cow I need to send a picture me (laughs) I actually sold um, 12,000 albums when I was younger, and I was a teenager specifically. And I played on a, on a Rickenbacker, and that was my favorite bass. I, I still think I love that sound probably more than anything else. And sometimes I would f- play on a Fender P bass. Um, and cool. then I had a Korg polyphonic in front of me sometimes, so if I needed to pay, play the keys, uh, there we go, and I'd have that. Now, the bad news was sometimes I would sing. <laughs> the good news was, <laughs> most of <laughs> the time I didn't. <laughs>
1: oh, that's so funny! Right? And that's so funny that we played the same instrument. Oh my god! I, I know we didn't two. even. I didn't
0: even know this about you until this second. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and you I are watching a, a real, listening to a real podcast where each party <laughs> is learning the other.
1: Yeah, and I had a Gibson seventy four Ripper.
0: No yeah, kidding. That was
1: my base. Yeah. Did you really like the sound of that? Bigger than me. Oh yeah, it was amazing. And it was just really funny because I was tiny and this was such a huge bass, but I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. So
0: <laughs> All right. So but, yeah. get let's so we leave the music world and you're not an athlete and
1: you, Yeah, so like I said, I wasn't ever going to like if you would have told me 10 years prior that I was going to be doing triathlon, I would have just laughed. I would never in a million years would have believed but the process I, I you know, I had my babies and for whatever reason my body mm-hmm. only knew how to make babies by gaining fifty pounds. And so <laughs> with each pregnancy no seriously and I managed to lose it some I had some amazing support and I found this dietitian and she had this group, um where we got together and we exercised three times a week and and i say exercise because at that point it was exercise it wasn't really training or it was mm-hmm. working out it was just we would exercise we had a great session where we would just get together and talk about nutrition and she would have us log in everything we ate anyway i was very happy very successful i lost all that
2: weight uh-huh.
1: and i was super fit and one of the, one of our trainers suggested that I start doing some something outside. At that idea, I lived in Houston, Texas, where the humidity level is a hundred percent. Where it's hot, it's just <clears throat> full of bugs and nasty. Mm-hmm. And my response was, "Why would I want to do that? There's bugs outside. It's hot. I'm <clears throat> no, I can just go <clears throat> to the gym, <laughs> right? No, oh, that's great. <laughs> who does that? And well, soon enough, you know, um, I was. Uh-huh my coach i found a coach that loved he was an Xterra like guy he was all right so hardcore. for those of you who don't
0: know what an Xterra is listening it's a off-road triathlon so instead of getting hot and sweaty you get hot and sweaty and muddy so you add another yeah, right. descriptor on the end of it but it's still an endurance event but keep keep going keep going Gene.
1: so he he was a very very tough guy and a very tough coach And um, within i think a month of of training me, he decided that I was going to do my first triathlon. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, and I said, do you know how to swim? I'm like, well, I can prevent my kids from swimming, from from drowning, but (laughs) no, I don't swim laps or anything. Oh, don't worry. We'll get you some lessons. Um, Do you have a bike? No, I haven't ridden my bike since I was 14. Oh, don't worry. We'll get you a bike. And suddenly he had um, registered me. And what used to be, the a long time ago, the 70.3s were part of like an event, right? And it was like a whole weekend event. And there was a sprint, mm-hmm. there was an Olympic, and then there was the, the half. And he decided that the best idea for me was to start at the Galveston um, Sprint, right? It was the... Okay. I don't even remember what it was called, but it was like the sprint of that event where there were about 2,000 participants, and that was my first incursion into triathlon, and the swim was canceled. I was devastated, but I did it, and I just fell in love. So are with it. you being
0: um, facetious? Because, you know, one minute ago you said, I didn't know how to swim laps, and then you say the swim was canceled, and I was devastated. So I'm wondering which of those statements well, was true, or what
1: no, no, no! They're both true. Um, I worked really, really hard. You know, like okay. I was gonna do a triathlon, and you know, mm-hmm. you know us, we are there to do the whole thing. If we're not doing the whole thing, it doesn't count. And right. I was ready. I was prepared. I was in the mindset. And even when the arch was blowing away, <laughs> I was
2: like, I can do this.
1: <laughs> but, but no, they canceled it, and. So then within a week, I was signed up for the next one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this time it was a full event. However, it was a smaller event. It was an all-women's event, which I am okay. incredibly grateful mm-hmm. for because I think the the sense when you're starting out, just knowing that you're out there with all women and it's it's a different. It's a different connection. And, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was very, very fortunate to have that possible and I it was a Mother's Day event as well so my oh,
0: kids were there okay. and
1: it was so much fun and yeah then the rest is history I you know I, I So how far I'm did you progress very... with
0: triathlons just so people can understand this
1: So I started in 2010 and mm-hmm. by 2000. So how old, just for perspective's
0: sake, how old were you when you started in 2010
1: I was in the 38th 30, 39
0: okay just for, remember, for listening we were
1: just having that conversation how because mm-hmm. of the way you're supposed to write your 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 age i'm always confused right but i think i
2: was 39
0: so that um, and you know definitely means, not 40 so, so you jumped into this you know at the halfway point in life like a lot of people do so a lot of people think sports mm-hmm. are things that you know it's one of the compelling things about endurance is you know, most of the mainstream public sports, you know, you start on at middle school and then you get weeded out in high school and then weeded out in college and a very small select group get to be pros. But in triathlon, we don't play by those rules. You can jump in almost oh, at no, any no, time no. and I become think... really competitive regardless of age. So you got into I it think... at, in your later 30s. Okay. And that was 2010. <laughs> yes. I digress. Mm-hmm. Keep, please continue. with show. How far, the question was, how far <laughs> did you go with this before the event?
1: So. Um, we moved. My family and I, I. I. I got more and more competitive as the years mm-hmm. went by. I, I fell in love with a bike. I actually competed in the state time trial twice mm-hmm. in Texas, and I won the division. I was the state champion, and I was just the bike was my thing. That I Yay. absolutely fell in love with it. The my my <laughs> my weakest link has always been the swim.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm an okay runner, but I somehow managed to make up enough time to, you know, to kind of get a get get that little bit of a lead way and I started figuring out my nutrition. I had everything to where when we moved here to Colorado, when we added the altitude to my training, that was just like the charm. It was amazing. And I started seeing some really phenomenal results. Mm -hmm. And I had not done an Ironman since 2014 at that point and I decided that I was going to try to qualify for Kona. That was mm-hmm. 2016.
0: and So the Ironman World Championships. So before you hit yeah, the Kona so, and everything, how, how successful were you in um, in um, doing what you were doing with the traditional triathlon, the sprint, the Olympic distance stuff?
1: Well, sprint was my favorite distance. In 2016, mm-hmm. I qualified um, for Team USA and I went to Cozumel. Mm-hmm. So I did I and Cozumel is one of my favorite places ever, and one of my favorite places to race, um, and mm-hmm. I loved it, and and I did really well. Then I came back to call, well, to to Boulder, started training for for full distance, mm-hmm. and I did a couple of halves in 2017. I'm getting kind of confused, and mm-hmm. by two, uh, by the end of 2017, I said you know, I, I am going to try to qualify in Cozumel. And so I went out there and I did Boulder 70.3 and I came in fifth and no, yeah, no, I came in sixth and I was devastated. because It was so hard and it was so hot and I was trying so hard. And at that point I said, okay, my, my goal, Mm -hmm. I had huge goals in 2017. I was going to break five hours and a a half and I was going to qualify for Kona. Those were my two missions, right? and holy cow you have five
0: children right so keep going on the story here
1: (laughs) yes and then I did I went to North Carolina and I came in second and I remember I I just didn't even I was leading the race in my age group and when I finally saw someone with with my age on their calf I asked her because I had not seen anybody, but that usually meant for me that I was like sixth or seventh because I could never catch up to that lead group of swimmers. And she looked at me and she said, well, because I asked her, have you seen anybody else? And she said, oh, well, yeah, I saw someone that got stuck in the penalty tent and then
2: mm-hmm. I saw another lady and
1: then there's you. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. And you were first and now you're second. Bye. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it was so funny. She was so sweet. I mean, she was even though what she's she was saying was not sweet, she said it in a really nice way. So it wasn't like but but still I didn't believe her because I had been told things like, Yeah, mm-hmm. you're six and I'm you know, whatever and it wasn't true. We were all like delusional in, in the midst <laughs> of, of However, this time she was right and I came in second. Mm-hmm. I did a five oh three, which was my PR wow. and I was just you know, over the moon happy. And I was so ready for Cosimo. So I went to Cosimo and I had done all my research. I was really, really ready. And I knew who was going to be there. I thought I knew who was going to be there. And I was, you know, I was just Mm -hmm. all pumped up and I had a really big mess up in transition. I had the best swim I've ever had. I did a 57-minute swim. Mm-hmm. I came out of that water. I went to, to I went to get my bag, and I don't know why I grabbed the wrong bag. So I got to to the change tent, and I opened the bag, and it was all full of men's gear. Oh, bro! So I, yeah. So I started to panic. So I gave the the volunteer my bag. She was so nice. She went back, and she couldn't find the other bag. I I lost 12 minutes in this.
2: Holy and cow! At that
1: point. Yeah, I was like, my day's done. You know, it's gonna be terrible. But, but still, I said, you know what? I'm just gonna do the best I can because mm-hmm. we should just, you know, move forward. And um, so I did. I had a PR on the bike, a PR on the run. I did a 10:45, I think,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I came in fourth. And unfortunately, they took the two slots. <laughs> so I was one so spot away from look, the slot away So, did you look if you didn't
0: have a 12-minute? Transition would it have mattered? Would it would no, it have bumped you all no. the way up to two?
1: No, and that's something that I also want to talk about. So the woman who got third, her name's Kelly Pua, who is a mm. phenomenal athlete. I knew Kelly was gonna be there. We didn't know these other two women were gonna be there who broke ten hours, but Kelly did a 10 oh two. And um she eventually um moved to Colorado and, and we uh-huh. became very friendly and when we got back, I said, Kelly, you've got to sign up for Boulder because, you know, we have to qualify in Boulder. Both, right.
0: of,
2: you,
1: both of us, we're going to go together. And, and Let's draft. You know, Let's go there name, and draft,
0: Kelly. Let's go do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no, no. What are you talking about? i no. I said, Kelly, um, you know, you, you when people see your name, they're not going to want to sign up because they know how strong you are. Mm. She's like, oh, Trini, please. Like, no, 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 no. It's true. Please sign up. So we both signed up for Boulder. And that was my mission. I was going to be on that course every second I could. I thought that that was going to be my advantage. The fact that I was training here at altitude and that I was be, able to
0: be on basically the course. your backyard.
1: Yep. And so keep in mind that I have raced with Kelly in the past at that point, And our Delta is about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. So then I'm training for, um, mm-hmm. Cosimo. in the interim, I came back for, for, for Boulder. A friend of mine tells me that mm-hmm. they saw this application for something that they think I would be perfect for. And they, that was the application for the slot for women for TRY for the 2018 um, Kona World Championship. And I was familiar with, with this spot, and I thought that that was a spot that was given to someone that in my mind... Mm -hmm. was incredibly inspirational
2: Mm -hmm. that
1: did not really fit my description and she told me that i was wrong that she was a writer that she's going to help me with the application and that we were going to submit that application because i i i had a really good shot of of winning this spot and so we did that that was in may 1st when that application came out so we got together once, we went to have coffee and she kept emailing me back all of these things and she was mm-hmm. really excited and working really hard. So the application was due May tenth and um well and that's when the
0: mm-hmm. the crash happened. So um, let's go through this a little bit here because this is the part of the story that's sort of public and it takes you from being the um energetic mom slash athlete slash, you know, I think anybody who's got that many kids and is at home is an entrepreneur. <laughs> I think you're a businessman just as much as anybody running a Fortune 500 in my mind because you're dealing with okay. scheduling and production and, and product <laughs> and service delivery like anybody else who's working right. for a nine-to-five. As far that's that's an opinion, right? It's, I can't validate that, but I think so. So you're Long preparing for... I think you're right. You're preparing for, you know an Ironman and you're riding the Ironman course that you understood was going to be used in Boulder. Um, mm-hmm. And you'd ridden it many, many times. And then mm-hmm. the event occurs, which trickles through, which leads to the existence of it could be me.org in the first place. So how it all started. So take us from that. If So you take us from the, that event, take us through the event. Trini. All
1: right. So it was a Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful day in Boulder. Um, I,
0: what month are we in at here? A point, May. September? You said you said we're in the month of May, 2018. Yes. May
1: eighth. Okay. It was May eighth, um, and it was a beautiful sunny day in Boulder. I had just said goodbye to all my kids. Everybody was off to school. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually would have been on on my trainer doing mm-hmm. a shorter ride, but that Sunday was Mother's Day, so I decided that I was going to do my century that day, and My husband was meant to come with me. However, he decided that he was going to meet me like two hours into the ride. He had to do a couple of things. And so we just said, well, we'll meet at Tom Watson Park at 11. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of went through the route. He knew exactly where I was going. Mm -hmm. There were points in that route that to me were very... Not not dangerous, but not as safe because there was construction and there were there were obstacles let's to say.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, by the time I reached Nelson, which is where I got hit, I thought I was safe. I was like, "Yes, I made it." And as soon as I crossed the street, I am gonna text my husband and let him know that I'm here. And that area is where all the big climbs are from the course, and they're also on farm roads so really i mean it's a this is a fairly safe secluded area mm-hmm. or, you know you could say but uh, that street nelson is still a very you know highly um transited street it, the speed limit at that point was 50 miles an hour so i'm being very cautious i'm on the shoulder i am an extremely cautious driver and, driver and rider sorry and cyclist so I am on the shoulder. I cross 63rd and I look over my shoulder. There's no one there. I signal and I start merging. This intersection does not have a turn left, a left turn um, lane. At that point, it wasn't really. There's a lot of wonderful things that have happened to that particular intersection since my crash. But anyway, so I'm merging. I look back again, nothing. It's a street that has a lot of, it's like a false flat, and it has a a lot of undulation. So I think that played a role in this. Um, I look Mm -hmm. back again. I'm um, looking at a map of Nelson
0: as as you're talking, just so you know.
1: Yeah. I signal. Mm -hmm. I start turning. Mm -hmm. And the next thing I see when I turn around again is this grill, the grill of an F-150 truck. And all I could think about were my kids. And the monologue I'm having is I am so stupid. What am I doing here? This is not worth it. I I just I they need me so much and like literally I could only think of my kids. So he catapults me. He I fly.
0: So was and he breaking land, or did he hit you when he was still at speed? Like did he see you?
1: I I don't I don't know. I don't know. I I I can imagine he tried to break. I don't know what went through his head. He did something really weird in my opinion. He, this is a two way road. We were heading eastbound Mm -hmm. and he hit me on the westbound lane, which means he crossed the double yellow and hit me. Um, I don't understand why he just didn't try to pass me on the left within our lane. Um, But, you Mm. know. Those are things that I probably will never know. Yeah, that's
0: right. And I was about to say you're never going to get an answer to that.
1: Yeah, no. But the police have the point of impact on the westbound lane. And Mm -hmm. so he hit me, and I flew, and I landed. And when I landed, I couldn't articulate. It was just too much. All I could do was scream. And I was terrified because I couldn't tell where I was. I couldn't tell if Mm -hmm. I was in the middle of the road. I couldn't tell if I was on the shoulder I couldn't tell anything. All I knew was that I couldn't move. And I was in the middle of of what seemed like the road. So at that point, almost immediately, um, a man ran over to me. And he said to me, I'm a nurse. I know what to do. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. I've Mm -hmm. got you. So he told me to lay down. Mm-hmm. Almost a couple of minutes later, a man came over with his with my wheel in his hand, and that was the driver. all he said to me he looked down at me and he said, "You didn't signal and the nurse just looked at me and said, "You know don't don't talk to him don't don't just keep with me so I'm stunned mine, one, I'm one. stunned
0: that that yeah. would be the first word I guess he so w- those were the wow. only
1: words he said to me only words ever and so i just i was i couldn't even understand um there was another there was a cycle at this point people started to um to stop and i had a a group of people around me um my the the nurse kept asking me what i wanted him to do he told Mm -hmm. the driver to call 911, so the ambulance was already on the way and so i asked this man the nurse to call my husband at that point, we had been getting all of these crank calls, and so my husband was the phone. It took three times for him to answer. So by the time when he answered, there was another lady that was there. And so the nurse got up, and the lady took over, who was also a nurse. <laughs> and she mm. told me, I was like, you know, I want you to know um, that I'm a nurse. It's going to be okay. There's an ambulance on the way. And we just started talking. And she told me that the reason she was there was because her friend Charles had been killed exactly a year from that day at that exact intersection and that she was there to put flowers on his ghost bike. And at that moment, I mean, I don't know what you believe, Jeff, but I mean, I, in my heart, I knew that, that Charles had something to do with the fact that I was still there.
0: So jump to that. What what is jump right into it. What role did your faith play in that moment? Were you I was, were you leaning on God in that moment?
1: Yes, yes, and I was thinking that you know there, that 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 He had a bigger plan for me. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I, the, the whole time I knew I it was a very scary moment, but I knew that there was a reason. I was still able to to have to articulate to to be present. I, you know, when I landed, I didn't know if I was alive. I didn't know if I was dead. I didn't know if I was going to be able to walk. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even speak. <laughs> so it was just this huge sense of relief. And, and I knew it was going to be okay. You know, it was incredibly scary. I didn't know mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. the future would hold for my body or moving forward. But I knew that I, at least I'd get to see my kids grow up. And that, to me, was
2: everything.
0: So, let's, let's fast forward through that. So an ambulance comes and it takes you to the hospital, of course. And, um, mm-hmm. Oh, and,
1: and, and the people in the ambulance, Jeff, they were amazing. So the, the, there were three people in the ambulance and mm-hmm. two of them happened to be a couple. And one of them, the, the, the wife was there and she was pregnant. And, you know, she, she, I guess they were just trying to, you know, share with me. So I would keep my mind off of stuff. But all I could think about was, you know, they're bringing this beautiful life into the world. And, mm. and I wish I was in a better place because I'd be happier for them. And I actually told them that. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't be happier for you guys. But I am really happy for you.
2: That's <laughs> you <know>? funny. Yeah. <laughs> they
1: were so sweet. And they, they sent me flowers. They're they just amazing. And I actually got to go to the the fire station where that police, where that, where that ambulance was sent from. Um, you and were a very
0: you. other yeah. focused person. You are focused on other people, aren't you? Yeah. No, so,
2: well, so
0: you get I mean, this ambulance ride and they take you to the hospital, of course, and um, they do the they do the intake. And so eventually sometime in that 48-hour window, somebody comes and tells you what your prognosis is. So what did they tell you had happened?
1: Um, So I, it was very scary. I think they were very, very worried about mm-hmm. all of my multiple fractures and at one point, how I many asked, did you have? Uh, I had twelve fractures. Um, I had a fractured scapula, six broken ribs. I had a triple pelvic fracture. I had a fracture in my coccyx. Um, I had a punctured lung, pneumothorax, the and then
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know I nursed three babies, so I had implants, and the implant. All of my injuries were on my left side, and my implant on my left side actually shifted and burst. Wow. And that was the one surgery I had to have, but I had to wait until my pneumothorax healed in order for that to happen. So it was a process.
2: Mm-hmm. But yeah,
1: so when I'm sitting, well, I'm, I'm laying in this bed, um, mm-hmm. a nurse comes in. And I asked her, I said, well, what do you think? She's looking at my chart and looking at me and looking at my chart. <laughs> and she says, well, let me think. Well, how about this? I think that if you make it a goal to go trick-or-treating with your kids and be walking by then, that would be great. And I just looked at him. and I'm like, it's me. That's not gonna work. I'm like, no. <laughs> That's not me. I can't no. And it had yeah, to be what you're saying worked.
0: is it needed to be bigger than that. Yeah. Your goal needed to be bigger yeah. than
1: that. Absolutely. I, I wasn't no. And then almost so, I think it was the next day that my friend who had submitted that application, well that was going to submit the application, the one that did worked so hard on it, mm-hmm. she called me to see how I was doing and here I am in this bed. How did that go? Hey, um,
0: oh. <laughs> um, I got a, uh, I, I have 13 broken, I have 13 fractures and um, I'm in a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. You didn't, it wasn't like that one, was it? Yeah, but hit that no, submit button. Maybe I can use it in um a year.
1: <laughs> no, I promise you. I, uh, so she calls me and mm-hmm. um, she's talking to my husband and all I remember was telling her to please submit the application. That, you know, I literally cannot move within the bed. I, I can't get off the bed. And I just went ahead and told my husband, just please tell her to do that. She worked so hard on that application. Um, just, just, just send it off. Let's see what happens. And that was the ninth. The submission, the application was due yeah. on the 10th. And so she added a short paragraph about the crash and she, she submitted it. And a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. later, they were contacting my husband and trying to figure out if I would be able to do the race. And at that point, obviously, we didn't know. Um, We had to wait to see how my bones were healing. There was nothing I could do in regard to the fractures because they were all non-displaced, so I just had to wait. And eventually, like within three months of that or four Mm -hmm. months, we got the green light. Well, he got the green light from all the doctors, and he had been in communication with Iron Man this whole time. And then one day, I get this phone call, and it's from this number I don't recognize. So I just mm-hmm. let it ring out, and he's sitting there in front of me, just looking at me, was like, "You have to, you have to answer that." I'm like, "I don't know this number." No, no, mm-hmm. no, you have to answer that, and. He grabbed my phone because it rang out. He grabbed, he picked up, he, he, he pressed redial and he gave me the phone. And it was, it was more from Women for Try mm-hmm. to tell me that I had gotten the slot. And, you know, if I wanted it, you know, it would be, it would be amazing. And
0: of so, course, I almost fell off my chair. Sure. So for people <laughs> listening in, because there's, um, there's two distinctly different events that are going to occur here, right? So you have this, you have to go through rehab and then, of mm-hmm. course, you have all the things associated with training. So talk about your rehab. So you, you're in a bed, obviously, with six broken ribs and a fractured <laughs> pelvis. You have a different day after experience than the average person who's in a car wreck. So talk about what your rehab was like. People would so be interested I, in hearing that.
1: Yeah. I worked with an amazing team of, of doctors. I think that being in Boulder, I am very blessed and very fortunate to have some of the most incredible people that were just here and available. And I worked with the guys at CU Sports Medicine. Mm -hmm. My PT um, was Lindsay. And she, you know, I'll tell you this. All of my doctors unanimously concurred that the reason I I was able to just get through the whole process was because I was so fit coming into this crash. Mm -hmm. I was at the fittest I've ever been. And my body was just very, very, very strong. And it, you know, it was, it was a process. I always focused on what I could do. I never, ever even like contemplated, oh, I used to be able to do this. No, this is what I can do right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to celebrate it and I'm going to move forward. And this is the goal for this week. And so it was many, many hours of PT um, slowly, I remember the first time I was able to get on a stationary bike I, I, I there were mm-hmm. tears, I mean it was just incredible and just being able to do little by little and having that very strong solid base from before because I was I always thought of this recovery as my additional Ironman and, and I kept thinking maybe this is why I was training so hard, mm-hmm. this was the Ironman I was training for and I had to relearn how to swim. Like I said, there's some incredible people that, that stepped up and just offered their help. Um, there's this woman, I don't know if you know her, her name's Enie Jones. I and do not. to me, she's, you do? I do not. And, no? Okay, well, Ine's amazing. She is one of these women that used to be the one, well, one of the few women that ever was able to get out of the water first in Kona. She mm. would be, this is when it was a mass start and she was the first one out. Including men and women, and she, I believe, is a mermaid. And she <laughs> offered to help me get back in the water, which, you know, with a fractured scapula, is a bit of a challenge. But, but she has very non-traditional methods. She had me swimming with rocks. She had me. She's very, very creative. And so, talk about, about what that, that just sense. meant
0: for the people, the casual listening here, swimming with rocks.
1: What does that mean <laughs> for yes. people who don't know what you're talking? She, about? So she had me grab onto rocks, and that's the way I had to swim. So I had a rock in each hand Mm -hmm. uh, about the size of my palm. And that's she would have me swimming laps and laps and laps with rocks and with a buoy. And then she had this drill called the mermaid drill where I had fins, and then my legs had a band, Mm -hmm. so I couldn't kick. Then I had a buoy between my legs, and I had to do pulling so that was one of the drills Um, and this is with paddles I had different sizes of paddles I had these paddles that that covered my forearm just so I could really feel the water and just correct my stroke and I I could tell you that that she taught me how to swim all over again I mean it it, it was just mind-blowing all the things that I was doing wrong and, and the things that I couldn't do because it hurt she taught me how to stretch. We did a lot of stuff in the swim mm-hmm. flume. We did a lot of stuff uh, on the ground, like outside, um, just to strengthen. Um, I remember at one point during this whole process, I was, you know, I there was never an, a, a choice not to finish Kona. I was fundraising simultaneously, so I there was like another level of, <laughs> of responsibility. So. Um, I remember thinking, well, I may have to ask if I can do the run portion in the wheelchair because at that point I hadn't walked or run or walked run longer than six miles. So I was getting very worried. and mm-hmm. I was in, So it would be a know, quasi-para.
0: It would <laughs> be a quasi-para event for you then.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I... Um, so then eventually I was able to do longer. I think I only did one very long run and it was about 20 miles. And at that point I was good. I mean, I knew I was within a, a decent time bracket. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I knew that I would be able to finish and it was just, and going into Kona, like the actual day, it was just a celebration. It was just knowing that our minds are So much bigger, and it's all in your mind. I mean, as long as your body, you know, is willing to cooperate, I think we can accomplish so so much. Um, And it was just the celebration of being alive, the celebration of being able to do the sport again. Um, When the swim was over, I mean, Mm -hmm, we spoke about how that was my crutch. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I was disappointed. I was like, "Oh no!" When I when I did the turnaround, I was like you know, it's almost over, it's halfway done, you know, and it, it, it was just mind-blowing because I had never, hmm. ever felt like that in a swim before, but I was just having the time of my life, and then would I you, went on to finish. You think that,
0: do you think that ever would have happened? Do you think you have ever would have crossed that spot where you said, hmm, I'm having the time of my life swimming? Had you not had that event?
1: I don't think so. No, I don't I don't well. think so. I think it's just you, you, you grow to appreciate Things in such a different way, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you, you get to celebrate mm-hmm. every single stroke and, and yeah, to
0: the, know, you know, you know. Yeah, there, there's okay. a there's a ton of references, both old and New Testament, where God talks about measurement. Right, He talks about how tall Goliath was and 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 how the size of the temple was in Jerusalem. Because God loves it when we measure, because He measures. It's like how we're made. But he never compares us. He never measures. And Goliath was three and a half times bigger than David who threw the stone. There's no comparison. But you and I get so caught up in this game of comparison, right, numbers versus Mm -hmm. this athlete, that it just sucks the joy out of the event.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny because here, the other day, I mean, and it, it literally just happened to me this past weekend. I was swimming. Mm-hmm. And I bumped into a pro triathlete. He in Boulder. That's just what happens. You end up swimming with all There's these. There's
0: a lot people. of them there.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And they, I have really not met one that is not incredible and nice and just
0: mm-hmm. very,
1: very um, appreciative of what they have. And we were talking, and I said to him, "Yeah, you know, well, my husband's not really a swimmer, but he's working hard." And, and he said, "As long as he's having fun." And, you know, I think we forget about the
0: fun. Mm, can't It's agree about more.
1: having fun, you know? And, yeah, and it just, I said, absolutely. He needs to have fun. We all do, don't mm-hmm. we? This is just what we do for fun. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, yeah, we forget about that. And, and that kind of, I can kind of go into it could be me from there because I think that we should all be able to go and have fun and just enjoy being outside and and not be scared I you know the the monologue that I had and Mm -hmm. just thinking that was stupid while I was flying in the air and Mm -hmm. you know I should not have to think that I'm stupid because I want to go ride my bike I should not be scared to go outside because I want to ride my bike or I want to go run or you know it's
0: it shouldn't be in our mindset. Well, so, yeah, but let's um, so let's kind have. of jump into the um, it could be me stuff. So a lot of times, if not so, if not most of the time, when people have a catastrophic event that occurs of the sort you just described, they um, build a life that you know it either has a pillar of a resentment about it or a victimization about it, right? you know what I'm talking about? They people yeah. sue to get every penny they can get disability, whatever you want to claim it to be. They have this response of woe is me. And, um, you obviously, I say, obviously you did not take that approach because from your event came, it could be me.org, a nonprofit organization focused on trying to help people and drivers and cyclists reconcile their differences for lack of a better phrase. And, um, make the road not such a daggum dangerous place for bikes and cars at the same time. So go through where It Could Be Me came out of. Like, when were those first moments when you said, I'm going to do something about this in a very organized, structured way, says the Mama of five. <laughs>
1: um, well, I just kept thinking through the whole process. I learned so much. After being in the crash, um, mm-hmm. I started learning what was going to happen and how the law was set up and you know how people were sometimes not being viewed as people anymore by motorists they were being viewed as cockroaches and insects and the 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 humanity had been lost and i was driving my little boy to school who used to ride his bike at that point and Mm -hmm. i refused to let him because i was so scared So it was a very short drive. It was maybe like a mile. And I just, I kept saying it to myself, you know, it could be any of us. It could, it could be him. It could be, it could be me. And, and that's, that's how the, like the verbiage came out. But I just started getting more involved with my community, getting more involved with, the legal process. I was very, very fortunate. I was called by Bicycle Colorado to testify on behalf of Bill 175, which is now the law here mm-hmm. in Colorado. So I talk, what is Bill
0: 175? So tell people what that is it's real quick.
1: The, it's the vulnerable user of the road bill. Before this bill,
2: mm-hmm. if,
1: anybody, if anybody was careless driving in Colorado
2: mm-hmm.
1: and hit a pedestrian, a cyclist, any vulnerable user, they would only receive four points on their record. Mm-hmm. Which is what the man who hit me got. He only got four points. That's the equivalent of forgetting your insurance card. That is, you know, you, one of the things that's that like I'm driving gonna 15 was,
0: miles over the speed limit or something mm-hmm, like that.
1: Yeah. He could have left me um, unable to walk, which is the case of I testified with around 20 other people, not 20 other people, the first time I testified. And only two of us were cyclists, and the rest of the people there were pedestrians. There were two people on wheelchairs. So when you say testifying, where,
0: where are we testifying in? Where, where was this testifying?
1: We're in, in the state capitol, okay. and we're before Congress. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. I learned a lot about the legal process and how hard or you know, how many people have to work toward making this bill the law. Mm-hmm. And all the stages that I have to go through and all the amendments. And so I testified twice, once before the House and once before um, the um, mm-hmm. Congress. And it, it was incredible for me to see how this process evolved. And then once it actually became the law, mm-hmm. I got to go to the signing with the governor and be involved in that part as well that's how it, it passed forward. I contacted the governor's office and, um, and he actually made a video for us for it could be me. Mm-hmm. Um, so but, if it, for those yeah. listening
0: in, you can go to it could be and hanging right off of uh, Trini's homepage there, you can click and get a video from the governor that was filmed just uh, last year in 2019.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I decided that, you know, that it, there were so many layers to this problem, but one of those layers had to do with the fact that people were not um seeing the identity of of the people that were specifically
2: cyclists
0: yeah, so let me um, let, let me that- let me chime in here to give you some um I know you're discussing Colorado, but for sure, as a cyclist here in North carolina um there's an ongoing an underculture, an undertone in the culture that states something like this. Cyclists are in the way of cars and the the roads were created for cars. They weren't created for cyclists. And Mm -hmm. the belief that cyclists are impeding the rights of motor vehicles just is an undertone everywhere as I drive. It's almost the case that, you know, you can't cycle for more than a month or two on the road at a time without somebody just getting really mad that you're using the road. And they might display it In several ways, the idea of zooming by you, going much faster than they need to, or passing you with less than a foot to spare. Um, I mean, I can go on and on. I'm sure you've heard every single one of those stories. But there's nothing that cyclists can do to win them over if they just express reciprocal hate. Why did you get so darn close to me? I've watched other cyclists, when we get to um, stoplights or stop signs, do an in-your-face with the car driver because the car driver almost caused them bodily harm. And they really, th- it's crazy when I say this, these cyclists really think they're making a positive impact by reciprocating hatred with hatred. And I, I've been there, I've watched them, I have never personally approached anybody, but I've watched them make it that much worse for the next time that guy sees a group of cyclists. You know, they think they're defending themselves. They think they're saying, you need to watch it or I'm going to sue your mom or whatever they're going to, I don't know what they're going to say. And that just aggravates people even more. And I like what you're doing here and trying to get over this gap of, I hate you and therefore you hate me when that's really not the case.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's just a a human reaction. I think when you are feeling scared or threatened to, to kind of. We act in not the most, um, not in in the best way, but I I don't believe in pointing fingers. I believe that we are all human. We are all essentially good people and that we just need to slow down a little bit. We need to understand that those people out there have every right to be on the road. We all pay taxes. Mm -hmm. Another very interesting thing is that most cyclists are also drivers. And so I, I try to install this, this new vision of, well, first of all, from the cyclist perspective, most, I ask people to, um, to say that they're going to abide by all the rules of the road. That's very, very important to me Mm -hmm. because I think that there's a lot of, um, not, not well-behaved cyclists out there that have to kind of also realize that you know they're making it bad for everybody and not mm-hmm. just for themselves and then also recognize that these people outside um well well, well human I'm a mom I have five kids mm-hmm. I have a husband I have people mm-hmm. waiting for me that love me to get back safely and it shouldn't be if I make it back safely we should all always make it back safely and we have to understand that you know, we, we, we're all people, and that could be – that's why I started the the videos. I think that it's such a, um, a, a valuable and powerful way of expressing ourselves by giving us the opportunity to show the world who we are. And they're very short videos. They're 15 to 30 seconds, and I just ask people to convey a little bit of, of what makes them – um, them
0: right so
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm a mom i am a husband i am a professor
0: i
2: am
1: so
0: a teacher, everybody listening you can see these videos hanging directly off of her um uh, her website as well it could be me.org yeah
2: so let's um
0: let I, me let me um get you to um the ambassador section because there's one thing that inevitably comes out of a podcast uh that has somebody like yourself on it is what what can i do to help i know there will be hundreds of cyclists in and around Charlotte who listen to this and they're going to say, Oh, that's, that's horrible. I love her response to it. I wish we could do something like that. So you have the ambassador program. So talk, talk with everybody about what that is and how they can jump in on that.
1: So just as a heads up, Mm -hmm. I have one, two, three, four,
2: five, six,
1: seven, seven ambassadors in the Carolinas. And out of that, there's five of them in Charlotte. And I believe, um, (laughs) There's different tiers. Um, A lot of these ambassadors in North Carolina actually are cross-country ambassadors. The reason I did different tiers is because I understand, you know, life gets in the way and some people can devote a number of hours and some people can devote a a number of minutes. So understanding that is essential. Mm -hmm. The, The ambassador program's gonna stay open as long as we're open so we can grow together. Right mm-hmm. now, we're close to 50 ambassadors, and wow. we opened it about three weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a dire need for change, and I think people there's a lot of people that do want to take it a step forward and get involved in their community. There's some people that have been personally mm-hmm. affected. One of my ambassadors from North Carolina, her name's Kitty Cole, and mm-hmm. her sister Sandra was killed six months ago. And she decided wow. to take a stand. She It took her six months to make a video. But she's out there because she doesn't want this to happen to anybody else. And, you know, there's within the ambassador program, Kitty is a cross country. Kitty will mm-hmm. go out there and try to um, um, lobby for policy change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She will post different videos. She will make posts about um, driver safety and and the relationships and right. whatever she can do to kind of um, ease that tension a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for our movement, in, o- in order to create long-term t- change, mm-hmm. we have to have a threefold movement. And, you know, the first aspect is everything that we've been talking about, which is the videos, mm-hmm. but there's also a dire need for education from both sides. Can't agree with There's, and policy change. So I think if we get those three things going simultaneously, I think we will be able to.
0: Have you uh, reached out to the the folks who um, create or work with those who create the um, driver's ed videos? Because it seems to me from the outside looking in that the place to get to the driver is before they're eligible to get behind the wheel in the first place. And they're in school for the first time.
1: Absolutely. And I've been talking to people here in CDOT and, I just became um, a board member of another, of a nonprofit here that is called Cyclist for Community. And they've been mm-hmm. working in the community for about three years and they're working in conjunction with Bicycle Colorado and they just did a digital, um, a driver said program. And it's it, they also designed last year, the year that I was hurt, mm-hmm. they had a program specifically designed for cycling and motorists relationships and my the driver that hit me was forced to take it and I think you're absolutely right I think if we get to the younger drivers that you know and and have them be in a different zone I think we've all forgotten that driving is a privilege and you know we have a huge responsibility when we're behind that wheel and Mm-hmm. yeah I think you know
0: where i live i get a, a we get an advantage because i'm in an agricultural community and drivers uh-huh. are already used to seeing combines and tractors and stuff like that on the road you know not necessarily occupying the whole lane half on the road half off the road but certainly not going the speed limit and so they're uh-huh. used to seeing non-traditional forms of vehicles not necessarily motor vehicles but vehicles in general on the roads uh-huh. um So they get the idea that you go around them as opposed to getting close to them and getting scary. Now, I get the advantage of the fact that if somebody gets too close to a combine, it'll destroy their vehicle (laughs) because those are big, many tons. Whereas a bicycle in general, people don't think the same way when they see a bicycle that they do when they think a combine. But at the very least, they fundamentally get it that they need to move out of the way. So I have no recorded memory in the decade plus I've been cycling out here of anybody getting within a foot of me. And I've got you know, 10,000 miles on the road out here. So I'm lucky in that sense. Oddly enough, you know, the only time I've ever been hit by a car, if you can believe this, was coming down the Tourmalet in France, like the most famous Pyrenee, the one that the race mm-hmm. has been won and lost on. I got hit by a black Mercedes wagon in the left handlebar. He, was, he got too close to me, descending off the Tourmalet. I don't know how fast I was going, but had I actually wrecked, I'm, I would not be doing this podcast with you. I'm sure I would have died because it was a direct drop off the side of the mountain. I was on the uh. descent where the ski slope is. I mean, where the um, resorts are and there was no guardrail. I was just going to go down, 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 down. So oh, pretty uh. Oddly enough. So what's wow. your one sentence answer for people when they are, if I had to get down, what's your point of it could be me.org? Can you get it down to one sentence? Or one paragraph. I
1: want to create, yeah, I want to create long-term change. I want people to get in their vehicles and realize that, you know, it's a huge privilege and that every life out there is valuable and it could be any of us out there because mm-hmm. we're all pedestrians, we're all cyclists, we're all motorcyclists, we're all, we're all on the roads at one point or, or another. And we'll, well, a lot of us are, are motorists as well. So, you know, we just have to look out for each
0: other so Trini Willerton thank you so much for sharing with us your threshold story for anybody listening in you can find out more about what she's doing and become a part of this movement that she hopes to see become nationwide if not global at itcouldbeme.org Trini Willerton thank you
1: thank you so much for
2: having me Jeff it was great
0: thanks for listening to this chapter of threshold stories crossing thresholds one story at a time Ready to cross more thresholds with me in two weeks. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me directly. You can find me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page at Jeff Gora Team USA.